Well, good morning and welcome, Calvary Quakertown. It's great to have you join us this Christmas season. We're in a series that we're calling Fruitology, in which we're examining and cultivating characteristics of Christ in our lives. And we're looking at the metaphor Paul used, calling those things spiritual fruit. And we've done that for the last few weeks, and we're coming in for a landing. We won't finish today. We're actually going to finish uh, next week. But let's remind ourselves of, the verse, ourselves of the verses that we're looking at from Galatians chapter 5. Here's what Paul wrote. Read it with me. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, we did in the past put up uh, those verses with blanks and stuff, but I don't want to depress you before Christmas, so we're not going to do that today. But we will do that next week, so study, come prepared for the final exam next week. As Justin said at the beginning of the service this morning, we're going to look at self-control. And for those of you that are very orderly and anal retentive, you're in charge, you're going out of order again. Yeah, that's because we're going to look at self-control today because there's no better time of the year to look at self-control than this time of year. I know many of you, and I know myself, and so we eat too much, and we drink too much, and we spend too much, and we want too much, and we agree to too much, and we attend too much. And so we need to exercise a little self-control, so rather than wait till next week when Christmas season is kind of half over, we thought, let's do self-control earlier, and we'll end the series by looking at faithfulness next week. Well, we need to understand self-control first. What exactly is going on? Because my guess is when I say self-control or when we read self-control as a fruit of the Spirit, we're probably not thinking exactly the same way that Paul's thinking. So here's how I thought that we'd be able to think about this together. Let's talk about and think about philosophy. Wouldn't that be fun as we're making our way toward Christmas? Well, you need to know something about two schools of philosophy. And they'll help us understand self-control. We're going to learn about the Stoics and the Epicureans. Both of them, by the way, are mentioned in the Bible, interestingly. But let's first of all talk about the Stoics. Now, uh, who are the Stoics? You may have heard that expression. Oh, that person is so Stoic. Well, Stoics don't show emotion. Stoics kind of downplay their feelings. They don't live according to what their, what their desires or their lusts are propelling them to do. They have a script that they've adopted, and they live out the script regardless of what they feel. So they go through life even-keeled, no highs, no lows. As some of you know people like this. Some of you live with people like this. Stoics are those who stuff it. Stoics are those who keep it inside. They don't express what's going on in the inside. They adopt a script, they develop a script, and they live out the script. Their motto would be, I pull myself up on my own bootstraps. I see a problem, I marshal my resources. I develop a plan, I tackle the problem, I accomplish it. Stoics, there's a problem or danger, you spit in the face at a problem or danger, right? You stand against it stoically. You got it? Do you know any Stoics? Yeah, some of you are Stoics, right? That's kind of how you live. Now, Stoics, those that suppress and stuff, they don't know too much of grace. You notice that? They're too busy working on the solution themselves. They're not trusting someone else to do it. They're doing it. 
Well, that really brings us to the second group, because Stoic parents often have Epicurean kids, right? Now, Epicureans, they don't live by the motto, stuff it. They don't live by the suppress it motto. They live by the express it model, right? So if the Stoics view the self as a criminal, Epicureans view the self as an explorer, right? And so the Stoics have to keep the little self under control with rules and regulations and live by the script. Epicureans say, no, no, no. We don't want to live by the restrictions and the rules of the Stoics. Stoicism sucks, right? We need to express ourselves. We need to try everything. We need to run down every road and experience. We need to try and feel, run with our desires. Epicureans, they're expressing, not stuffing. Have you seen those kind of people too? Yeah, so the Stoic parents of the 50s had the hippie Epicureans of the 60s, right? And then the 70s gave birth to, see how that works? It's kind of like a pendulum that swings back and forth. Stoics, Epicureans, Stoics, Epicureans. Stuff it, express it, we go back and forth. And so there are Epicureans in the group. We usually know who you are, by the way. And then there are Stoics in the group. We know who you are, too. In fact, I, I was thinking of interviewing Justin up here, saying, Justin, come on up and tell us what the Stoics do as you're singing. And then, what do the Epicureans do while we're singing? Very different, right? One views the self as an explorer that needs to be free to run down every road and experience all of life. Stoics see the self as a criminal that needs to be locked up and chained and kind of kept in check. Interestingly, Jesus doesn't call us to either of those. When Paul says a fruit of the Spirit is self-control, he doesn't say live as a Stoic. He doesn't say live as an Epicurean. What he's talking about is completely different than that. Let me uh, take a little liberty with a parable from the New Testament and show you what I mean. How do we understand the gospel? If that's understanding a little philosophy and understanding self-control, how do we understand the gospel? Well, one of my favorite parables in the New Testament is the parable of the Epicurean son. Now, the Epicurean son, the one who wants to explore and run with all of his desires, in Luke chapter 15, he comes to his father and he says, hey, dad, I'm sick and tired of living under your rules. I'm sick and tired of living under your authority. I want you to give me my share of the estate now so that I can explore and express myself and experience the freedom that's coming from within me. And amazingly, the father liquidates some of his estate and gives the Epicurean kid his share of the estate. So what does the Epicurean son do? He takes off, and before you know it, he's lost all the money. But he was expressing himself. He was running with all of his desires. All of his friends are gone when all of his money's gone. And he finds himself as a little Jewish boy feeding pigs with garbage in the muck and the mire. And eventually the Epicurean kid says, huh, I may be an Epicurean, but I'm not a moron. Even my father's servants have a better deal than this. I got a plan. I'll go back home to dad and I'll say, hey, dad, would you take me back as one of your slaves, one of your servants? I don't deserve to be taken back as a son. I'm not asking to be taken back as a son. Dad, would you take me back as a, as a servant? So he leaves the pig pen and starts toward home. And you know the story. 
when he's still a long way off, the father who every day looked down the long driveway hoping the kid would come home, on that day he sees him. And the father takes his robe and ties it around his waist and runs down the road. And he embraces his son and the son kind of backs up and gives the little speech he's been rehearsing, right? Father, I've been sinful in heaven's sight and in your sight. Would you please? But the father stops before he gets to the slave part, before he gets to the servant part. And the father says, bring out the robe. We're welcoming back a son. Bring out the sandals. He's not going to go barefoot like a slave. Bring out the signet ring, the ring of authority in the family. Put it on his hand. The son came home having squandered everything. And the father showers him with grace. But that's not the only son in the parable. You see, the younger Epicurean son had a stoic older brother. And the older brother's outside, and he doesn't go into the party that the father gives because he doesn't want anybody to know that he's really angry because stoics don't want to express their feelings. So he stays out in the field. Well, the father does the same thing with the stoic son that he did with the Epicurean son. The father goes out and he says, like, what's your problem? And the older Stoic son says exactly what we would expect the Stoic to say. Huh. I stayed home. I lived by all your rules. I kept every detail of the stupid script that you gave me. I jumped through every hoop you set up. I did every job you gave. And you never threw a party for me. But this Epicurean kid comes home, squandering one-third of your estate, and you welcome him back. I'm not coming in. And the father says to his stoic son, I don't understand at all. Your younger brother was lost and now is found. We need to celebrate because the party is not a party of works. The party is a party of grace. The father invites the younger son, the Epicurean son, and the older Stoic son both to the party. Now, some of you are saying, so what does that have to do with self-control in us? Oh, it has everything to do with us. You have to know a little bit about how the chapter's arranged. Let me read the first verse of that chapter. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. All right, now I'm going to ask you a question. You all answer, and you, you should know enough philosophy to answer this now. So, when the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus, would the tax collectors and sinners be Stoics or Epicureans? Epicureans, right? They're sinners, right? They're running after their pleasures. They're fulfilling all of their desires. They're exploring all these things. Look at verse 2. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered. Who would be the Pharisees and teachers of the law? The Stoics. Now, they may not have fit the absolute categories and definitions of Epicurean and Stoic, but they're certainly on those ends of the continuum, right? And the Stoics stood there pompously looking at the Epicureans that had been running after all their pleasures, trashing their lives and everybody else around them. And the moralistic Stoic religious leaders looking down their noses and Jesus says, neither of you get it. Neither of you understand the gospel. And then Jesus proceeds to tell three stories. He first tells the story about a hundred sheep, one of which gets lost. And the shepherd leaves the 99 to go find the one. 
He then tells the story about 10 very valuable coins. And one of the 10 gets lost. And the woman that lost it goes on a frantic search to find it. And when she finds it, she celebrates, just like the shepherd celebrated when the shepherd found the sheep. And then he tells the story of the sons. And there's a party and celebration when the son comes home. And the story ends with a question. Will the older Stoic sons come to the party or not? Now, here's what that parable or what that chapter tells us about self-control. Every one of the stories and all four movements of the story have the same exact themes. Something's lost. There's a frantic search for it. Something is returned, and there's a celebration. Every story, right? Something's lost. There's a frantic search. Something's returned, and there's a party. A sheep, lost, search, found, party. Coin, lost, search, found, party. Younger son, lost, search, found, party. Older son, lost, uh-oh. There goes all of our religious thinking, right? What do you mean he's lost? Yeah, he's just as lost as the Epicurean kid, right? He, he wants the father's stuff but doesn't want the father. He's just as lost as, see what Jesus is saying? The answer is not Epicureanism, run after your pleasures, yourself as an explorer. And the answer is not being a stoic, developing a list of rules and hoops that you jump through. But lots of people that go to church begin to think that stoicism is what Jesus is calling us to. No! We're not called to live according to a script that we develop and we make our own way and we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. The gospel of grace isn't self-help. The older son is lost. There's a search. The father goes and looks for him. Is he found? And uh, We're not sure. Yeah, maybe Jesus wants to leave us with that question, right? Now, the point of my reminding you of that real familiar story is this. When Paul talks about self-control, he's not saying, live like an Epicurean. Yourself as an explorer, run down every road, fulfill every one of your desires, live however you want. That's not what the gospel is. But the gospel also is not. Live as a stoic. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Don't let people know what you're feeling. Stuff your emotions. Don't express them. Don't. No, no, the gospel doesn't call us to any of that. Well, how do we cultivate the kind of self-control mentioned there? Well, let me give you a couple clues. How do we cultivate it? Um, I was thinking of a really interesting verse from Proverbs. Some of you, you, you should read through Proverbs when you get a chance. Pro Proverbs is pretty good. A lot of people say there are 31 chapters of Proverbs. A really cool thing to do. Um, pick a month. Maybe not now you're too busy, right? But pick a month, January, February. If you read a chapter of Proverbs a day, you'd finish the book of Proverbs in a month. And there's lots of wisdom. You won't be able to live all that stuff, right? But you can at least get, get the party going. But here's a proverb that's really interesting that speaks to self-control. They have to know something about the ancient world, right? But here's what it says. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Huh. You see, the ancient world was very different than our world in the ancient world. If you had a city surrounded by a wall and the wall didn't have any holes in it and the gates were, you know, able to be shut and locked and you couldn't really get in, you were pretty safe behind the wall of the city. 
But if you had a really great city wall, but it had a bunch of holes in it, the wall really didn't get, give you much security. The wall didn't do you much good because the enemies could just run through the holes in the wall and they get in and they could do whatever they wanted once they were in there. And so the writer of Proverbs says, yeah, like a city whose walls have a bunch of holes in them. That's what it's like to live if you don't have self-control. Now, some of you may be saying, oh, okay, Charles, you're wrong. See, it is stoicism. Build a wall, set up some rules. No, 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 I'm not done yet. I'm just showing you one. Now, here's an interesting verse, a couple of verses, that you may never have thought of, and it's going to surprise you a little bit. Here are a couple of verses from the book of Titus. Now, in Titus, Paul's writing to one of, his, one of the young pastors he's mentoring, and he's going to talk about the gospel, and he's going to talk about grace, and he's going to mention one of the outcomes, one of the results of the gospel taking root in our lives. And my guess is you've never thought this is one of the results of the gospel. L listen to what Paul says. For the grace of God has appeared. Right? Jesus has appeared. Christmas is coming. This is a great Christmas verse. The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to everyone. Jesus offers the free gift of salvation offered to everyone. But look at this. The grace of God, the gospel message, teaches us to say no. What? The grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? The gospel teaches us to say no, no to those things that you have desires to run after. The things I desire, the gospel, grace, teaches us to say no. It's not stoicism. It's not Epicureanism. It's adding Jesus to the equation. You see, self-control for a stoic is all about keeping your little criminal self in line, all by yourself. That's not the gospel. Epicureanism is all about letting that little explorer self run down the roads and experience the freedom and pleasures of life. That's not the gospel either. The gospel is recognize that Jesus Christ needs to sit over you. Self-control isn't submitting to yourself, it's submitting to Jesus. And submitting to Jesus not as a dictator, not as a rule giver, but as your gracious Savior. So here's how we develop self-control. You remember who Jesus is. He's omniscient. He knows what you need a whole lot better than you do. And so for you Stoics that think you need a new set of rules and you need to live, no, no, no. Jesus knows what you need better than you know. And for you little Epicureans that are kind of letting yourself free to explore, Jesus knows what you need better than you know what you need. And even when you mess up, Jesus paid the way for you to come home. Jesus paid the way for Epicureans who've run down the road of experiencing freedom and all the pleasures of the world, Jesus says, I paid the way for you to come home. And for all you Stoics that have been trying to do it on your own, trying to kind of control yourself all by yourself, yeah, Jesus pays the way for you to give up that strategy because that strategy doesn't work and for you to come home too. 
It's keeping Jesus in the center that actually gives us the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Remembering he knows better than we know. He's all-powerful. We can trust him. And he loves us more than we can love ourselves. Therefore, you can live in light of what he says, not because he's a dictator and a tyrant, but because he's a savior who's paid your way. And recognizing and living in, living in light of his grace allows us to say no to the Epicurean tendencies and no to the stoic strategies of trying to find your own way home. So what are the takeaways? What are some points of application? I just have two simple ones. Here's the first one. Choose grace. Choose grace. When you think about self-control, all you Stoics need to say, nope, time out. I need to bring Jesus into the equation. It's not making my little self submit. It's me submitting to Jesus. And for all of you Epicureans, let me just ask you, how's that, how's that strategy working out for you? Running after all your pleasures, fulfilling all your lusts, trying to find pleasure. How's that working out for you? It's a dead-end road. Jesus knows better. He's all-powerful, loves you more than you love yourself. Choose grace. Every day, remind yourself of grace. You know, beside reading our little um, Galatians 5, 22 and 23 verses, maybe we need to memorize those verses from Titus 2 that say, the grace of God has appeared in Jesus Christ, and that grace, the gospel, teaches us to say no. No to fulfilling all of our pleasures and no to our own strategy of finding acceptance in ourselves. No to those things, to both Epicureanism and Stoicism. But also, we do have a little work to do, so choose grace and... Close the holes. Close the holes. Look, be honest. You've got some holes in the wall of your life, don't you? And we probably have some different holes. Here are the big holes of our culture. Money, sex, and power. Right? The pursuit of money. Some of you think, boy, if I just had more money, regardless of how I get it, boy, if I just had more, then all of a sudden I'd find... No, no, that's an Epicurean strategy, right? That's not how it works. Are there holes in your life when it comes to money? Are there holes in your life when it comes to lust, when it comes to sex? Are you trying to find those pleasures outside of bounds that you really should be living in? How about power or perfectionism? You know, little stoics drawing up all the rules in your life, trying to make sure everything fits exactly the way it should, right? Little perfectionistic stoicism going on. That's not how you find fulfillment. So what are the holes in your life for you? Money, sex, power, or some variation or combination of those three, I'd be willing to bet every one of us in this room has some holes in our lives. But notice step one, choose grace. Add Jesus to your thinking, to your living. Memorize those verses. Think of the price Jesus paid in the, in the gift that God offers us in him. Choose grace. And then as you experience that grace, close the holes not to earn your way back. Choose, close the holes. Not to find pleasure outside of the bounds. Choose grace. Close the holes. And you'll live with self-control. Not as a Stoic. Not as an Epicurean. But as a Christian. A follower of Jesus. As we submit to him our gracious, loving, omniscient, omnipotent Savior. That's how we live with self-control. A little different message than you'll hear when you watch television, you look at the advertisements, or you read the magazines. Let's pray. 
Father, we give you thanks that you love us so much that you don't allow us to live according to our own devices or according to our own impulses. Lord, every one of us in this room has a little bit of a stoic and a little bit of an epicurean living in us. We want to find pleasure and fulfillment apart from you, even though we know from experience that they're all dead-end roads. And once we've wandered from you, we don't want to admit that we're weak, and we don't want to admit that we can't earn our way back, so we develop a set of rules, we develop a little script, and somehow we think we'll clean ourselves up, we'll pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and earn acceptance with you as we come back. Lord, that's a bankrupt system. So, Lord, would you remind us in new ways of the gospel of grace, of a loving, omniscient, omnipotent, sacrificing Savior who teaches us to say no and pays our way home because we've all wandered away. And help us, Lord, to say no to the things that we need to say no to and to say yes to the things we say yes to not to merit anything, Jesus has already merited all of it, but to say thanks and to live in gratitude for what he's already done. We pray in his name. Amen.